morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of Ball in the Real World and a second edition, a second chapter in the Ben Simmons Debate Club. A few months ago, we visited this topic as Ben Simmons was umming and ahhing and his decision was hanging in the wind about what he was going to do with the offseason, whether he was going to join the Boomers in Tokyo. We know how that played out and we've seen what has entailed over the following months. If you want to catch up all the latest on the Ben Simmons saga, make sure you're following along Adrian Wojnarowski on every platform on ESPN. Ramona Shelburne has a fantastic article up on site from about a week ago that goes into some of the different elements and factors and actors at play. But you guys aren't here to hear me, Laurie Horish, your moderator for the day's debate. You are here to hear our three panelists, starting with the last standing champion from the first Ben Simmons Debate Club, Steve Smith, the member from Mornington Peninsula. We also have Kane Pittman representing Southbank, <laughs> a controversial third place in the first debate due to some unnecessarily contrarian views, some may say. And then the wildcard factor today, our third candidate, the Ross Perot of this edition, a narrative weaver, an artisan of storylines, a man certainly, certainly not unfamiliar to want away superstars in the NBA, basketball and other sports as well, as well as the demise of some of those superstars over the years and our senior editor of ESPN Australia, ESPN.com.au, a two-time Logia winner, a BAFTA award winner, Stuart Randall. So welcome. I'll start. Steve, how are you feeling as we enter? Some have called it an ideological philosophical basketball velodrome. How are you feeling this morning? Uh, g'day, lads. Yeah, no, feeling good. Uh, like my chances. Um, Olgan is just, you know, he's not here now, so he's too good for us. So it's up to me to... Uh, Continue the uh, glorious reign of a carryover champion. We have a one-debate winning streak for Mr. Smith. Kane, how are you feeling about dethroning the man they call El Capitan? If there was an official protest platform for the, the results of the first debate club, I certainly would have lodged a protest, but I was told that was not an option. So, um, look, we're here and we'll, we'll see how we go. Stuart Randall, entering for the first time, the rogue actor in our debate today. What's your expectation and anticipation coming into today's debate? Well, thank you, Laurie, and thank you, boys. I'm honoured to be here. I did think this was the um, Keldon Johnson appreciation pod, <laughs> so I'm a little disappointed um, with the subject matter. But I am pleased um, to be taking Olgan's place because I know that Olgan, uh, if you take his place, that's a pretty much a carpet ride through to the NBA from, uh, from this podcast. So looking forward to it and looking forward to getting stuck into some of these debates. Well, with those introductions out of the way, let's get to our first item on the agenda. And that is our stances from three months ago. Each of the candidates and Stu's was off the record. So we'll see what the audience worm says about their belief in his authenticity as he reflects on where he stood on the Ben Simmons saga a few months ago. But where you stood, how that is reflected now. And we'll start with you, Steve. Reiterate to the audience uh, what your take was on the Ben Simmons saga a few months ago and how are you feeling about that in this middle part of October we found ourselves in? Well, not only am I taking a victory lap as carryover champion, but I'm taking a victory lap because I called that Ben Simmons would still be with Philadelphia to start the next NBA season. So I feel fully justified in saying that uh, he was he was going to stick. I just we I think I talked about how you know we weren't convinced that the off season would be any different for him. He wasn't going to do anything differently that he hadn't done before, even though he he hadn't committed to playing at the Olympics because he said he wanted to skill development. We've not really seen any of that. And yeah, he's still stuck in Philly and it's gotten worse. It's even more toxic now. Kane, you took some interesting stances on whether or not he should go to the Olympics and the benefit around that. That's obviously played out. But where do you stand now compared to the podium that you took 
just a few months ago. Yeah, so I didn't think that it necessarily made a lot of sense for him to go straight from what happened in the postseason to the Olympics. I thought that I could sit there and understand and say, well, we all watch this guy. He clearly needs to develop his game individually he needs to come back and add different things and not only add different things but he has to be willing to implement them on the court as steve said we don't know whether he has but a big reason for that is because we haven't seen him we haven't seen him on the court at all now i probably wouldn't have anticipated that it would have got this messy because i couldn't have imagined in my in my mind that this this direction would have been taken and i know we're going to get into it a little bit later but whether it's ben whether it's the sixes whether it's uh it's his his management it's it's staggering to me that it's got to this point i still don't necessarily think given how messy it is that anything would have changed from going to the olympics i i, I can't see it i can't see that he goes to the olympics and all of a sudden he, he comes back and says okay now i'm willing to play in philly uh, i'm not so sure I, I don't really buy that Stu, you essentially have a blank canvas to be able to write the history of your own takes from a couple of months ago, but you live and breathe in the heartbeat of a newsroom in Australia. So you are surrounded by the constantly changing, or in some ways constantly declining narrative that surrounded Simmons over the past couple of months. Where did you stand? How did you feel as we were questioning whether he was going to to go to Tokyo and what he was going to do with his off season, whether he was going to work on his jump shot and whether we're going to be posted workout videos on Instagram and social media versus how it's played out since those uh, those fateful first debate club a couple of months ago, I think looking looking back at that time, I assumed that they would find a trade. I assumed that this was a a distressed asset that was losing value all the time, and they would eventually be able to find a trade for this. But as as the months have gone on, you've seen that the market has shifted so much that he's just run out of options. Um, the thing I didn't expect was was this hold out, not returning back to back to Philly, and and everything that has eventuated over the last week. Um, but you, you can see the, the situation that the team are in. They have an asset there that they know that performing at its best is very valuable to them you know, on the court. It's very valuable in the trade market. But at the moment, they're getting none of that. Um, so I, it's amazing to me that it's gone down this path. But you mentioned you know, other sports, and I am unashamedly a, a Tottenham Hotspur fan and have lived through this in the same period with Harry Kane, and it was the same situation. You know, he didn't return to training in the first week and the, the club held firm, there wasn't a deal and he had to come back. And he's not been exactly the same player, but it's, it has begun to reintegrate back into that environment. And that at the moment looks like the only way that Ben is going to get what he wants is to actually have to reintegrate into that environment because he's actually damaging his own value right now. So from the three candidates so far, from the Mornington Peninsula, we have a victory lap. From South Bank, we have a stoic ardent staunchness in their original take, despite how contrarian, controversial they may have been initially, and some reflection from our third wildcard candidate who has looked at where he was, where he is now, and to see how the viewers respond to that and whether they feel that that's where the authenticity and growth is coming from from our three panellists. to say the challenge has been laid off the bat. Let's get to our first big topic, though. We've had some opening statements. Who is the most to blame in this scenario and how it has played out? Obviously, you can partial it out to different parties and different factors but we want to know who's the most to blame so far so i'm going to throw it over to kane Pittman to start we're going to work in a counterclockwise way on my zoom room obviously you guys can't see that so it's a mystery to everybody else we're keeping everyone on their toes kane who is the most to blame for how this has played out well i reckon this has changed in the last couple of weeks because i would have said a few weeks ago that i thought that philadelphia um, you know Stu spoke about 
it, it being a distressed asset, but the Sixers absolutely contributed to that being a distressed asset when you look at the way they responded after the postseason game. That's a fact. But I think in the offseason for Ben Simmons, he, he could easily have looked at this. And I admit, I thought that potentially they would trade him before the season started. But if not, that's fine. We've seen situations like James Harden in the past and, and these stars. Look, Harden, I wouldn't say, was playing 100% last year, but he was at least there. He played some games. They worked towards a, a trade. This was the worst possible path you could go down to, to not show up to training camp. And then the problem is that when you show up a week later, everyone knows that you're there just because you've all of a sudden realized you're not getting paid. So now you show up to practice, but you show no efforts. And then you get kicked out of practice. So it, for mine right now, whether it's Ben Simmons that doesn't want to be there and he's not that interested in playing basketball, we don't know. I mean, I've, I've heard multiple people have that opinion that maybe he just needs a break. Maybe he's not in the right mental space right now to play. That's fine. But I don't know whether it's Ben or it's his management, but that camp right now, I don't know whether he got some bad advice, but it's terrible because eventually he's going to have to come back and play and he's going to have to come back and contribute and compete because if not, no one's trading for him. That's, that's the way I see it right now. Because why would you? And the Sixers aren't going to give him away for a bag of chips, which right now, that's what every team in the league is trying to get Ben Simmons for. Stu Randall, who wins the blame game? This is, this is hard because I, and I know we're not supposed to agree on a debate club, but I, <laughs> I do tend to agree a little with Kane. I have, I've switched a few times on this. And reading Ramona Sheldon's excellent piece at the weekend, I actually had some sympathy for Ben talking about how his experiences around the end of the season and how he felt and how he, he feels like he wants to be able to make mistakes. He wants to be in an environment where he can fail. And Philadelphia wasn't that environment for him. But man, he's lost a PR war this week. You, just the images of him on that first practice, you know, the look in his face, the phone in the pocket, and then everything that has happened subsequently. This is not the way to force himself out of out of a team. This is not a way to force a team to trade him because Daryl Morris said today, you know, this is going to be a long-term thing. He's not, he's not looking to trade him today. So I just think they've handled this really poorly. And once they got to the point where the dream move to California wasn't going to happen, there was, there was no avenue for him to get to the Clippers, the Lakers, the Warriors, even the Kings now <laughs> aren't even looking at it. That was when he, they needed to take a shift in their starts and how they handled this situation. And they haven't. He turned up because he wasn't going to get paid. He went through the motions on day one and then not toys out the pram again. So while initially I feel blame could have been shared, it's 100% in the Simmons camp right now. Steve Smith, we have two of our commentators so far today putting the king size of the blame pie over on the Simmons camp. Do you fall in line there or are we going to see a bit of discord on the panel? I, I can't tell you how much I hate agreeing with Kane. And uh, and to a lesser extent, Stu, but it, they're right. He's, he's... Let me just say, if you're agreeing with me, that means I take the points because because I was first. I, I would like you're to remind first... the member from South Bank that everybody has a time allotment. Okay. Uh, there will be time for rebuttal, and that okay. time is not now. So please, back in your chair, please, and stop flexing. Thank you. Show some <laughs> respect, Kane. Please, please. Um, no, no, seriously though, it, it he, he's acting like a jerk at the moment. Like there's just no other word for it. It's petulant, and you're a max. Max contract player, like, act like it. That's He's getting some horrendous advice, clearly, that has just completely derailed. And not only has it hurt his own PR image, and, and we can talk later about how does he recoup that public image, but he's completely destroyed what little remaining leverage Philly had to trade him and get something good back in return. So 
at some point now, and as Stuart alluded to, Daryl Morey said today, you know, buckle up, we're in for, in for a long ride now. We, we could do this for four years. Like, they'll just sit him and pay him. And, yeah, he might turn up for practice. And so technically, I guess, they have to pay him. And he can talk about back stiffness and things like that, even if, you know, the Philly trainers said, no, no, he's, he's okay, he can play. So maybe he gets a sick note, you know, um, Stu, Darren Anderton style <laughs> back in the day. Um, Sorry, can we give Steve extra points there for, for relevance? Thank you. <laughs> We're breaking new ground with points being handed out to other debaters by their challenges here. But I'm very yeah, fair-minded. Shame, shameless points mining from me there. But um, no, like he just needs to... And, and yes, Philly initially probably bore the brunt of the blame because they threw him under the bus after that game seven. Doc and, and Joel Embiid both, you know, said, we don't know if he's, if he's the guy we want. And, okay, so that's, that's set in the heat of the moment. And they walked that back within a week. And Ben's feelings were obviously hurt a lot but to the point where he's just not forgiving. And at some point, you have to, you have to stop doing that. On Daryl Morey's points about uh, this being a long saga could play out, we could do this for four years. However long that saga plays out, it would be remiss of me not to say the best place to keep up to date with that Ben Simmons saga and all your other NBA coverage, ASPN.com.au and ASPN Australia. Uh, moving on to our third point which is I know where we're going to get some discord because it's time for some original thinking. And we, um, despite the fact that Steve closed with some strong heat there, did it steal the round? We'll have to wait and see till the end. Need to know what is the best possible outcome for Ben Simmons? What's the path that gets there? Continuing our counterclockwise around the Zoom room. Stu Randall, that goes to you first. The best possible outcome for Ben Simmons would be for him to be on another team as soon as possible. That's the best possible outcome for him. I don't think that's achievable in the short term. The, the best possible outcome for Philly, they need to get something back for Ben. They, they can sit in. They can keep paying him. They can pay him the $200 million over this period. But what happens if Joel gets hurt? Because, you know, he's, he's not got the greatest history of his fitness. So what happens if Joel gets hurt and they've sat Ben and they've put Ben in the corner for this amount of time? And they may actually need him at some point this year. So it, does, it doesn't feel tenable that this can go on for as long as Daryl has intimated. Ben needs to get out of that environment. And I think Philly need to get Ben out of that environment. Clearly, they're trying to build chemistry. They're trying to build on what they, what they started last year with Doc. <clears throat> but having Ben as, as a presence around that facility is not going to help that. And it's just a huge distraction at the moment. The noise around them is all about Ben. It's not about, you know, how Tyro Maxey is becoming, becoming a player for them. It's not about Aussie Matisse. It's not about the good things that they're doing. It's not, this is a team that was, had the best record in the East last year. And we kind of forget that with all this noise around it. So I think the best outcome for Ben is to get out of there. And I think that's also the best outcome for Philly. Steve Smith, Stu believes the best possible outcome involves a parting of the ways. Where do you land on that question? Yeah, a hundred percent. Like the, the, we're we're so far past the point of being able to mend fences and and hurt feelings now because the the whole thing is just so toxic that uh, it, it's just impossible for them to possibly come to a consensus where where Ben will actually play with them for any more than you know five to ten games max. Like he needs to he needs to be on the court at some point in the next month just so he can show that yeah I'm I'm committing committing to play 
at least. And then Philly can say, well, okay, this is what he's done for us in five to 10 games. What can we get for him now? But, you know, that I think given that Ben wants clearly, and it's been talked about ad nauseum about how he wants to go to California, why would Philly do that when he's not willing to help out them? So for me, the, the fast trade that happens, it's going to be to Minnesota or something like that. Kane, you're a man that has spent some time in the frosty northern parts of America. You know what that destination could be like for a Ben Simmons. What is the best realistic outcome for this and how do they get there? Well, I'll say, first of all, he's probably in a better position financially than me to buy adequate winter wear. So he's going to be able to get through the winter, but there's no doubt that, the, that he wants to get out of there. And to be fair, the Sixers want him out of there as well. So the only way they're going to achieve that is if he comes back and plays. They started Tyrese Maxey yesterday. He's a talented young point guard, but to Stu's point, Tyrese Maxey isn't carrying them to an NBA championship. And this is a team with Joel Embiid, injury history. You don't know where that's going to end up. You don't want to waste seasons. So the idea that they could spend four seasons doing this is wrong. They're not going to do that. But now the leverage has swung and the Sixers are saying, okay, well, don't play that. We're just not going to let you play. I think if you went back two months ago, you thought Ben Simmons had some of the leverage there when he was threatening not to come to training camp. So it kind of reminds me when I was little, I got in trouble at school. I came home. Uh, my parents wouldn't let me go to uh, footy training. So I, I said, that's it. I'm moving out. And I walked to the local footy oval. I sat there. And then after an hour, I realized, okay, well, I don't have the upper hand here. I'm going to have to go back home. And that's what Ben Simmons is going to have to do. I don't care if it's in a week. I don't care if it's in two weeks. But he's going to have to go back there and play. That, that's the, uh, to me, that's the only way I see this resolving where both parties are happy. Ben Simmons gets to a new situation and Philadelphia um, get an adequate trade. They're not going to get the haul that they potentially could have got 12 months ago, but an adequate trade. Kane Pittman, the worm is telling us that you've picked up big points there in the 30 and over bracket for people who actually remember when they could walk down to the local park by <laughs> themselves. The savvy play from a man looking to reverse his record in the Ben Simmons Debate Club. Moving on, can Ben recoup his image, his public image, where that's gone? We, we saw where it went during the Olympic campaign in Australia, and now we're seeing how it's played out in the States and a, a city like Philadelphia where Jason Kelsey, who is a starting center for the Philadelphia Eagles, spoke today and he touched on it. And he said, look, play better, get better, and the city will love you, which is quite often the way it goes. In the Philadelphia market, that's a, that's a population, that's a, a public consciousness that responds to hard work uh, an achievement relative to where you are. If you're lower down on the totem pole, whatever team you're playing for, as long as there's hard work and improvement, that city does gravitate towards you. And that was his advice. Kane Pittman, can he recoup his public image? I think he can, but I think it's going to have, he's going to have to take a very uncomfortable step. So I thought even going back a couple of weeks ago, he, he did for a fleeting second have the support of his teammates. And this is critical to me because they were talking like, yeah, we'll welcome him back. It's basketball. It's going to be fine. Now, three days ago, Joel Embiid's like, I don't really care about that guy anymore. And the second that he went public with that, then you know that you're in big trouble. So honestly, I think he can. First of all, he can do it on the court. I think you're right. I always say this with athletes. As soon as you're out there playing well and contributing to winning, the fans will be like, okay, fine. But I think he needs to speak. Like when he comes back, I think he needs to speak to the media and say, okay, this is the situation. Yeah, maybe I didn't handle it too well. I've been going through some stuff. I found this super, super challenging. Be vulnerable a little bit. And I, and I think that can help as well. I, the fact that we haven't heard a scrap from him and it's all the negative stuff. 
from the other side, I, I don't think has helped his cause. So I think he can for sure, but uh, I think he, he needs to speak and, and clearly needs to mend some fences with some of his teammates. Stu Randall, you've been on the inside and up close with all manner of stories over your career that have seen high profile sports people take a tumble and rise like Phoenix's. Can he recoup his image and how do you think he could do it if possible? I think it's a bit of a, a double-edged question here because I think there's his image in America in the NBA circles. And I think there's his image here as well. And I think Ben cares about that. He has a lot of commercial deals that are going on in this country. I, I, I believe he may be involved with some pie maker. I'm not entirely <laughs> certain about that. Um, so I think in the NBA circles, he certainly can. He needs to play. He needs to get to a team. He needs to show some contrition. He, he does, as Kane said, he needs to speak. He needs to be honest. And those signs of vulnerability that we saw in Ramona's piece, uh, if they are shown to the public, I think he will get some sympathy. Um, we've seen in the, in the NBA, you know, Ron Artest, Latrell Sprewell, we've seen people do a lot worse things than be able to come back and be celebrated. So I don't think that's a problem. The Australian part of it is really interesting because he was, everything he did for a number of years was back page news. We, you know, we know, we live in this world. We see social media posts from everybody talking about Ben getting a double-double and Philly may have lost by 30 points and no one really cares because Ben did something. And he's high profile. He's on posts, he's on billboards, he's in ad campaigns. But the one thing we don't like here is people that don't have a go, that don't try. Australian sports people are known for, for trying. And as soon as he pulled out of the Olympic squad and that boomers culture that everyone said would be so good for him, he took a massive step down. And he was already had, had some mainstream media on his back because of what happened when he was in Melbourne last time. But there is a path to redemption in the Australian sport in public's eyes. We've seen it with, with high-profile, high-achieving athletes in the past, someone like Leighton Hewitt, who was admired but wasn't loved in the early part of his career and then became Aussie Leighton again by the end of it when he became that kind of battler. It's a terrible, hoary old stereotype, but it, it's true in how it operates here. Harry Kill's another one. He was someone who, for all his talent, people thought he turned his back on his country and he was always injured and he was never going to fulfill his potential. And people were, people were on him. And that changed again towards the end of his career when he showed a renewed commitment. And I think that's what people here want to see from him. And that's how he can rebuild his image in Australia by showing that commitment, showing that he is, at his best, one of the, the top 25 basketballers in the NBA. A nostalgic, emotional narrative painted there by Stu Randall that has sent the worm skyrocketing um, and thrown points, down the gauntlet. Good for the points. Very strong mantle thrown down to the, say we say, more experienced members of the Ben Simmons Debate Club. Steve Smith, what can Ben do with his image? Can he recoup it? That's the question. And if so, how does he do it? Yeah, he can. It won't be in Philly. Um, like the, the, uh, the example I thought of was Vince Carter in Toronto. There are still Raptors fans who absolutely loathe Vince Carter. They've never forgiven him for dogging it the way he dogged it. And this is that times a thousand. So he's, he's never going to recoup that in Philly. They'll, they'll never, ever forgive him for that. Stu made a good point about, you know, athletes in Australia and, and having a go. And I'm not so sure they're going to forgive as readily um, either. I just, so many people I've spoken to who probably initially loved Ben Simmons, uh, to quote unquote, off him. Like they're just so not interested in what he's doing at the moment that it's going to take a long time. And Kane was right to, to a point. Winning cures a lot of things. So if he got, I, I know Kane, I agreed with you again. It's, it's, <laughs> what a day. But, 
it, it just, I, I can't get over how often I'm agreeing with you. It's, it's doing my head in. But you're right. Winning cures a lot of ills. Now, if he goes somewhere else, and let's say he goes to Minnesota and, and let's just say he pairs with Carl Anthony Towns and they, even if they build a team that's just over 500 and in contention for a, for a low playoff seed, that's, that's, that'll, and he plays hard and well, that's a long way to, to recouping your public image. Well, those points bring us to our final, final topic on the debate agenda today. And that, that simply is, what is your prediction for how this plays out? And where do we see ourselves in the next few months? We've touched on certain things here, so we're going to try and keep this concise. We're going to put about 72 seconds on the board for each candidate. We're going to start, we're going to start with Steve Smith, the defending champion last remaining defending champion. And I will say, I won't reveal who is in the lead, but the score right now is two to one to one. So it is all in the balance. So with 72 seconds on the clock, Steve Smith, how does this play out? Until this morning, I, uh, I thought there'd be maybe like another week or so of drama. Like I thought that Philly would really try now to, to get him traded quickly and so that he's no longer a distraction. But what, given that what Daryl Morey has said and how much of that is posturing and, and how much of that is, is real, you know, in terms of, well, we'll, we'll sit this out until we get the trade we want. Um, and, and as a lot of people have said, he's probably the only executive in the NBA who has the stomach to actually make this go long term. So my, my feeling initially was this, this will be done in, within a week or two. Ben will play somewhere between five and ten games. Um, and then they, they trade him and get at least 65 to 70 cents on the dollar. And that's probably the best that they can do. Um, so in the meantime, they're probably still on bended knee that Portland are going to implode and that they can somehow in, engineer a, a Dame Lillard trade. And that way they send him west. He doesn't get to go to California, but he goes to a, to a nice team. And I think that that was how I was seeing it play out. But what Daryl Morey said this morning changes all of that. Swinging down to South Bank, Kane Pittman, your prediction. Well, first of all, Steve, let's just say on, on opening night or their team's opening night, the only pe- person that was more happy or the only group of people that was more happy than Sacramento Kings fans beating Portland was Philadelphia fans and Daryl Morey. I'm telling you, they are hoping that that team completely tanks the start of the season. So we'll see how that plays out. But as a stubborn man myself, I'm interested to see who's more stubborn here and how stubborn can these guys be? So Daryl Morey, is, is, he's on the front foot. He's saying four years. Ben Simmons, is he too stubborn to go back and, and, and go to practice and probably play? I was asked um, a week ago and I thought, I said, I think he's going to play in the first three weeks of the season. I, I think that he'll play for Philadelphia. They're going to get to a point where this, this has to peak, where they're like, okay, this is an absolute disaster. We somehow have to backtrack. They'll come together. One of the two parties will concede a little bit and they'll get back together and say, we want to get you out of here. You want to get out of here, play, and we can organize that. I'd still watch the Kings. Marvin Bagley, speaking of uh, controversial uh, situations in NBA, keep, I say he's just keep an eye on the Kings. The Kings are, are perennially a mess. I think that's a, that seems like the type of messy situation they could come together and say, look, we, we, we both don't know what's going on here. That's just, that's just trade. A strong full stop there from Mr. Pittman. Stu Randall, the debate is in the balance. It's there to be won. It's there to be snatched. What is your prediction and do we have any fireworks? How does this play out? Well, as, a, uh, as an athlete of a certain age myself, I can appreciate how back tightness can be problematic when you're, <laughs> when you're at the peak of your game. So I, I foresee this back tightness continuing for a few more weeks with Ben. 
but I think he will he will suit up for Philly. I think he will play some games November December, but I predict that he will start 2022 in a different teams' colours. And Daryl will pull the pin on the trade at the, at, a, at the time when it looks like everything's calmed down and Ben is nice and starting to get settled again. That's when I think Daryl will pull, will pull the pin and make the trade that works best in Philly's favour. If that's Portland, fantastic. I think if it is, it might, might be CJ coming back rather than Dane, but we'll see which way it goes. Um, but I, think, I don't think Ben will be a 76 8 in 2022. All I've got at the moment is a mental image of Ben Simmons sitting forlornly on a Geelong footy club oval, just waiting to, uh, you know, w- waiting out and then realising, well, I've got to go home. Too young for the cats, Steve. Too young for the cats. <laughs> well, we've brought it back home and we are about to wrap things up. But while we are on home soil, one final bonus item on the agenda, one bonus question and a chance for someone to swing the balance and make the worm go their way and take this second edition of the Ben Simmons Debate Club home. Does all this mess, all this drama that's played out, does it make it more or less likely that one day we see Ben Simmons in Boomer's colours first to Kane? Well, let's hope he's still playing basketball by the time 2024 comes around because I, I don't think that that's completely off the table that he might not be. But, yeah, I think he'll play. I've got faith. He'll come back. But because I'll tell you, by 2024, he's going to be in a beautiful situation uh, he's going to be getting encouragement. He's going to be uh, doing. Uh, he's going to be in a position where he's willing to fail, and he's going to be in a good headspace. And he'll be in Paris. That's my prediction. Thirty seconds or less. Thank you very much, Kane. You have done yourself no harm there, Stu Randall. Will we see him in Boomer's colours? And is it more likely after this tumultuous ride? Well, Lawrence, I think um, Ben will finally get his wish. He will go to Cali. He will suit up for the Boomers at Los Angeles, twenty twenty eight. How old will he be? Let me, let's, let's do the matter. He's in his 30s. He'll still be 25. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> to be honest, I think that's the furthest thing from his mind and really from, from our mind right now. I think he, he, made, his, he made his call for, for Tokyo. That was that. And, and I think the team showed that they have something special. And Ben, it'd be lovely if you came, but, you know, it's up to you. We're fine. Carry on. Steve Smith representing Australian colours and the pressure that weighs on it is never far from your mind. <laughs> Where do you land? I don't think this current situation will have any effect on whether or not he plays for the Boomers. I think there are there are other factors that will, will affect his decision, namely just, I think, how much of a centrepiece he feels he'll be on, on the next Boomers squad. Um, I think if he, if he looks at that and, you know, the veterans that probably won't make it to, to Paris, there's a lot of long-term... Uh, boomers players who probably won't be there next time round, and maybe he feels that that's you know better for him. Um, so look, I, I think that would affect his chances of playing more than this current impasse. Well, those closing points bring us to the end of our second Ben Simmons debate club, and now it's time to tabulate. And through a strict run of judges from across Australia, have come back with the following numbers. We have a tie for last place with three points each (laughs) Stephen Smith and Stuart Randall and with four and a half points and taking out the second ever Ben Simmons debate club it is South Bank representative Geelong's own Kane Pittman Kane congratulations closing remarks before we all have to run out of here Rigged. No, I really appreciate it. This is obviously um, something that's bothered me over the last couple of months, but I think we all listened to this podcast and heard Steve agree with every single point I made. And it was uh, probably 
the correct decision. So uh, no, uh, this means a lot. Stu, your debut performance, how do you reflect before Steve throws a microphone? <laughs> well, um, Laurie, uh, just a good time to remind you it's end of year review time. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to check the scorecards again, please yeah, feel free. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. We, we may have, tune in for next week where we may have a correction. Stay on the ESPN Podcast Network and the Ball in the Real World feed to see if we do have any changes in results after the fact with some of these new factors that are just coming to light uh, that you could argue possibly should have been in my the forefront of my mind earlier on. Steve, a loss in four words or less, your reflection. Oh, this sucks. <laughs> and with that, we're going to wrap up the second edition of the Ben Simmons Debate Club. More basketball debate clubs and more basketball content coming on the ball in the real world feed with our two fantastic regular commentators, opinionators, and basketball extraordinaires, Steve Smith and Kane Pittman. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. More debating, uh, more prognosticating, and more basketball fun only coming over the summer here at ESPN Australia, New Zealand. Until then, we will see you next time.